Welcome back. The 2023 budget speech was keenly observed to understand the vision of government for the next fiscal year. Even though it brought with it a slew of measures, there were no major proposals in this budget. Our esteemed panel of experts joins us now to decode the fine print and share their point of view on the move. Uh, thank you so much for your time. Let's actually start with you, Peter, who is in the studio. I think largely the budget was considered boring. Would you say that the most boring part of it was the tax part? <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't call it boring, uh, except I think we all want to be optimistic and that it was good news by not having too much bad news. Okay. But I think that's probably the worst news is where we are, we probably needed a bit more. Uh. And I think in the last 15 years, I think that's the problem we have. If, if you look at the key things, the debt, the revenue predictions, the GDP. In the last 10 years, you could literally copy and paste what was said and it's exactly the same. So yeah, from a tax perspective, there was probably a few nice years in there and I think everybody is so glad. Maybe our expectations are just very yeah. low. Um, <laughs> so I think there's a lot of relief okay. that taxes haven't gone up. Um, okay. But other than that, if you look overall, there, there is a, a bit of a concern that that is what we're getting and given where we are. Yeah. Um, going to you, uh, Kanisa, would you have liked to see more or do you think that boring is good? <laughs> yeah, I know. I think when it comes to tax policy, boring is good. But <laughs> given, obviously, just overall challenges, I expected quite a bit more when the president indicated that there will be tax incentives for rooftop solar and household will be assisted. I wasn't impressed with what was shared today. So I think a bit more there would have been good. Uh, all right. I'll come back to that. I'll come back to that. Uh, Dennis, uh, your rating. Yeah. yeah all right. Uh, Dennis, your <laughs> rating of the budget and particularly the tax movements that we, we saw? Well, in general, it seems to me now <clears throat> that we suffer, whether it's the state of the nation or the budget from just accounting exercises without any vision as to where the economy should go. This budget had absolutely no indication of what the minister sees as the trajectory of the South African economy, except for the usual, we don't want, we don't want to overborrow and we've got to deal with poverty, inequality, etc. It's not a scintilla of direction at all. And it, it strikes me as particularly interesting because that wasn't the case 10 or 15 years ago, certainly when Trevor Manuel was in this. So, you know, as a bookkeeping exercise, well, it basically did what everybody expected it to do. I just mm. almost no, no real surprises. I think I agree with Kanisa in relation to the solar for individuals, <clears throat> 15,000 rands as a tax deduction, which essentially means something out, 6,000 rands you'll get back. It's pretty mingy when you consider that it probably costs between 150, 200,000 to put it up. So I don't think that's going to be much of an incentive. There is an incentive in relation to business. I accept that. Uh, although there, it will be interesting to see how well they police the position. I think the point that you make about tax is interesting, the 90 billion extra. And that I think is testament to the Kisveta led SARS which has done a really splendid job under the situation. What I think one's got to ask oneself is given the level of load shedding which you have at present and the extent to which I do not think that uh, 
that we can say we're going to be out of the woods for a very long time. Whether the assumptions of 1.4, 1 1.5, 6 growth are realistic, I think completely hopefully, hopelessly over-optimistic if the electricity crisis yeah. continues at yeah. stages 6 and above. And that means a decline eventually in the tax collection and therefore the figures which we've got being inaccurate. Yeah. All right. Uh, lots of interesting points that you raised there. But just lastly, uh, Osman, <clears throat> on your side, do you think that it was maybe too safe? Osman? Yeah, sorry, can you, you repeat the last thing? Sorry, I think I had some audio problems. Do you think that the budget was too safe or safe enough? Yeah, it, it, it's it's hard to say. I don't, think, I don't think it was either. It was really just very pedestrian, I think, with no real policy uh, direction. I think Boyd, um, I, I think if we look at where we ended up from a revenue collection perspective and where we end to, we expect to end up from the revenue collection perspective i think the um the windfall that we had from the extractors last year is still there to a degree yes it's tapering off but it's still there but and and the effects are still there and of course um the improved performance the improved buoyancy at the sars under under management i think those have just kind of made it easier i think to do nothing. And I have to say, that's probably what I've seen out of uh, most of what happened today. Yeah. All right. Just going to those tax, uh, those tax uh, revenues, uh, Peter, 30% uh, of that corporate income tax comes from mining. And of course, you know that the extra 90 billion is mostly from mining because of the surge in commodity prices that we had seen. How are you looking at that revenue trajectory then going forward? Looking at the fact that there are still uh, significant constraints when it comes to load shedding, um, and we don't know when the renewable energy moves that the mining companies have been undergoing, when that will actually start uh, filtering through to operations. We also still have transnet issues that are curbing production uh, and how much we are able to export. So how are you looking at that revenue going forward? Well, I think that's exactly the point is, and I think Dennis made point is, it's probably going to go down. So you, you had employees tax, which has remained buoyant. Yeah. And given, and, and South Africa to a large extent, we've not gone through what we've seen in the US, etc. But that may at some time start hitting us, that employment goes down. Um, we have seen government statement regarding freezing of salary costs, etc. And that might lead to an exit in the public sector. Um, so the stability of the employees tax base might come under pressure, which has been, call it the key. And you say, as you say, the mining extractors, they're probably going down as well. Um, and, and in addition to that, obviously, a lot of them are migrating now over to solar. Yeah. Which means they are going to claim tax deductions for those as well, which means their taxable revenue in the next year or three is going to go yeah. down significantly for the billions in investment they are going to make in that regard as well. So... It is probable that we are going to see a, a reduction yeah. in those, that, or that they, the growth is going to slow down. I think, look at what the growth, I think going up in the medium term, up to about 7% in revenue. Yeah. I think, as Dennis said, that may be, and it does put a lot of pressure on SARS, and I think that might not always be fair. So we'll see yeah. what the commissioner says in Parliament next week. But. Well, all right. Uh, can you so just expand on those tax measures for us? What would you have liked to see then? Do you maybe think that it's, it's, it's more skewed towards businesses than households? What, what's your take on that? 
So I would have liked to see one, uh, I think like, I would have liked to see a bit more than the 15,000. I don't think that goes far enough to cover the costs. There's also not no mention of what happens to the to those households that have invested in solar before this was announced. Okay. This also is limited only to one year. So is that meant to say that after the one year we won't have an electricity problem anymore? So I think there's quite a bit. It's um, it's just something. I, I feel it was something to just keep people from talking, but it doesn't. It was never meant to address. It wasn't going to address the issue but it doesn't give households enough. What I also found lacking was electricity shortage is not only for those that can afford to acquire and install the solars. It also impacts those that cannot afford. Either you don't have the upfront capital to invest or you can't afford to borrow. So I, I also would have liked to hear a bit more in terms of just the overall policy. What does it mean for the majority of the South Africans that cannot afford to invest and install in solar? We're currently sitting at about 84% connectivity, and I see other countries in Africa have consistently on an annual basis increased the number of households that are connected to electricity. So what is this going to do to that number? I mean, the number has been, in my view, it's been stagnant for a number of years from 2014. Um, does the government have an ambition to have 100% of South Africans connected? And how do you achieve that when we have a crisis and to address the crisis, you grant incentives, but only to those who can afford. Yeah, you make a very interesting point. And I also did so think I, of that. On that issue, yeah. I think that there's a huge gap there. Yeah, no, you, you make a very interesting point that as much as there are these tax incentives available, um, but at the same time, can people actually afford to, to, to get those measures, the, the, solar, panel, the solar panels. Um, I just want to look at the tax base. Um, the VAT, um, there were lower VAT uh, estimates. And I'm just wondering, um, Dennis, what does that highlight? Well, we can't, we can't increase taxes. The economy is too fragile for that particular purpose. It just simply is. Um, of course, if you increase VAT, You've got a whole range of political consequences as well. But, I mean, unless you're going to do um, a serious amount of work in relation to the poor, you've got to ask yourself, uh, that increase would be dramatically retrogressive. And if you just go back to Kanyas' point in re relation to that, it was a really interesting proposal put up by two distinguished economists, David Everett and Imran Velodia about how if the government actually um, provided solar a whole range of township communities and then they were allowed to sell that surplus back into the grid, it would actually provide a greater amount of money for them than the, the, the kind of various um, forms of grants that are given at present. Now, I'm not suggesting that that is a perfect solution, but it's precisely that kind of thinking that always gets me worried that, in fact, we don't think about the poorest, uh, well, at least, not necessarily the poorest of the poor, but a whole category of people. So we can't put up that. Income tax, it could hardly have put up. Corporate tax has done relatively okay. And one of the reasons is that because, and this is the really interesting thing about tax policy, it does appear that people have worked their way around stages two to four load shedding. And that therefore the numbers were pretty good as a result of that. 
Whether that can be sustained is my question. But going back to the earlier point, the one thing we can't do is impose greater burdens on, on poor people. Yeah. Uh, let's look at sin taxes, something that I wasn't particularly happy about. Uh, <laughs> Osman, just coming to you, um, we've seen the increases in the tax on alcohol and, and tobacco products. And I'm wondering because the SARS has, has been on, on, on a move to curb uh, illicit cigarette trade. And we've, we've had companies such as BAT uh, really coming forward and, and talking about the hardships that, uh, or the, the, yeah, the knock that their earnings are taking now talking about layoffs as well because they can't get as much revenue anymore. So how are you looking at that balance of increasing sin, sin taxes, but also looking at the the the, uh, the boost in, in 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 illicit cigarette trade that we could see because of this yeah i i, I don't i don't think the two are, are are related and i mean i think the i mean you know customs and excise as a general matter is just traditionally and we're not talking about for the past two or three years more like the past three or four decades um, has simply been just, you know, a, a, an additional re revenue source to bring up that last uh, 15, 20 percent um, of, of the revenue that we need. That, that, that we need. So I, I have to say the as a mechanism or as a tool to change behavior, yeah. um, I think there's zero I impact there. And I think it's, we, we probably shouldn't be, uh, be linking the two. Ah, um, okay. I mean, and, and, and yeah, I mean, I, th I think I do, though, want to respond to some of the comments that have already been made. Yeah, you can, you um, can, you can go ahead. To, to, to VAT and the tax structure, uh, uh, etc. And I, and, I, and I absolutely agree. And I think where we are with VAT today and the fact that we ended up with that particular drop um, is simply a reflection of business confidence and the, the state of the consumer as opposed to is there a problem with our tax structure. Um, if, if, if anything, and again, my uh, corporate bias will come through here, um, I would have expected further commentary to improve uh, business confidence because it was two years ago um, when we were apparently set upon this trajectory of a reduced uh, corporate income tax rate. I mean, we are in 27% territory now, um, but there's just been silence. And I, I mean, I'm certainly not suggesting that, you know, we should go down to 26 immediately. But I think that kind of direction that, you know, guys, we're thinking about this. We have a plan. Mm -hmm. We have, uh, you know, I, I mean, we have some creative solutions. The last time when we spoke about, and I won't get into the technical detail, of assessed losses and reduction and, and limitation on interest deductions. But the point is you had a plan saying this is where we're headed and this is how we're going to go through through this process. I think that for a lot of us was a little bit absent um, in, in the context of trying to boost um, business confidence as a general matter. Yeah. All right. Well, we have about uh, less than two minutes to go. So... I just want to get your ratings on the budget, um, starting with you, Peter. Uh, how would you rate this budget from one, uh, between one and ten? One ten, and being, ten being great, excellent. Yeah, I think given our concerns, uh, probably a five. Okay. And I think, and one of the big reasons is the one big thing that's not in there is our nas looming national water disaster. Mm. Not much was said, and that's going to be worse than load shedding. Yeah. Uh, and I think that is, to me, the biggest why this budget has failed. It's, yes, it did a lot of it load shedding. It said nothing about water shedding. 
Yeah, maybe then the water shedding or the, 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 uh, the electricity uh, concerns overshadowed then some of the, the big... Yeah, all right, I hear you. Um, and then coming to uh, Kanisa, how would you rate this budget? Kanisa? <coughs> all right, Dennis, I think Kanisa can't hear me, but Dennis, how would you rate this budget from one um, out of Yeah, I think, so I suppose the point I, I want to make to you before giving my rating is, if you look at this budget, and we had sat down, our group, this group of people, over two hours. Would we have come up with anything different to what they have in terms of the budget? In other words, there would have been straight up and down stuff, which you could have done in the back of a cigarette box. And therefore, because of that, I give this budget a four. Uh, all right. So a five out of four. Osman, what are you giving it? I'm I'm, 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 I'm going to buck the trend because I'm I'm a bit of an optimist, and I think you know the usual stuff that ministers new in job in the job kind of, um, and uh, you know well I mean new new ish, and you know um, we need he, 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 there's a lot he needs to get to settle. So so I'm 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 going to go beyond uh, Mr. Farber over there. I'm going to settle on a so solid five point two. Ah, oh. <laughs> <laughs> and on your side, can you sir? <laughs> Can you, sir? Oh, I was hoping we'd beat 5.2. Can you, sir? I think, I think load shedding's got her. I think load shedding's got her. Yeah, I would give it 5.2. Okay, okay. <laughs> All right, thank you so much to my guests. Uh, that was Kanyusa Tlingo Ngadu, Head of Tax at SNG Grant Thornton. Osman Malaji, Partner for Transfer Pricing and International Tax at PwC. Judge Dennis Davies, uh, Chair of the Davis Tax Committee. And uh, with me in studio, uh, Peter Faber, Senior Executive at, uh, Tax at uh, SICA, for Tax at SICA.